Well, if you've been a scout before, or if you've ever been camping, or maybe if you're a firefighter, I know we have a good number of those active and retired in the church, you know that there are certain elements that are required in order for fire to take place. This, uh, this force that can be rampant and burn out of control and, and take people's lives and their homes and, and everything that they have, or something that can keep us warm at nights in the dead of winter. Fire is an, an amazing force, and we are taught, very simply, it takes fuel and heat and oxygen in order for a fire to burn, right? Right. How about the fires of God? And I'm not just talking about the bush. As miraculous as the story is, that does not burn up and yet, yet consumes the bush in such a way that it draws Moses out of the wilderness over to see it and to listen to God to speak. But I'm talking about the fires that God burns within us and burned within Moses to go out and to go to a place that he had just fled from some years ago to do something holy and something incredibly of God that he could not have done for himself. These holy fires, what, what are the elements that are required? We can look at Moses' life and see that that there are three things in his life that God used to stoke this fire and can use in ours in, as well to send us out into the world to make a difference, to, to light the fire of, of God among other people in the world. And the first of those is our past. Yes, all that has happened in our life up to today, God can use if we are willing in an incredible and mighty way that we may discount or even not even consider. And that was certainly the case for Moses, was it not? We talked about last week the women in his life, about how Pharaoh's edict for all of the young Egyptian babies that were boys to be thrown into the Nile River through their creativity and through their courage and through their humility. They devised a plan in such a way to save his life and place him into the household of Pharaoh. In Egypt, there was no better place to be raised with the choices of foods to eat and, and nutrition for a, a young boy, the education, the leadership that was learned, the training, all of the things that we would all want the best of for our children. Moses received and was set on a path to greatness and success in the house of Pharaoh. God was using all of that, we said, by the invisible hand, though he did not see it at the time, to set him to a place where he would call him and use him mightily. Now, in the book of Exodus, which we are going through, and which has the story of Moses, we see, and this is an interesting fact, that it's divided up into three parts. Did you know that? Moses, the Bible said, lived 120 years. I know some people in this church that are coming up, getting kind of close to that, but not quite yet. 120 years. Was that measured in Old Testament biblical times or in the way that we understand years today? We can't say for sure. But we do know of those 120 years, the book of Exodus says that there are three 
chapters of 40 years of Moses' life in which God uses distinctly for specific purposes. You know that number 40, don't you, from the Bible in other places as well? It's probably the most significant of all the numbers in the Bible. There's 12, of course, which are the 12 disciples of Jesus and the 12 tribes of Israel. There's 7 and 70 times 7 that we hear about in, in Revelation and in Jesus talking about forgiveness. But 40 is premier of all the numbers in the Bible for you numerologists out there. Noah, remember, 40 days and 40 nights inside the ark with the waters raging all around from the flood. Jesus in the wilderness being tested and tempted and tried for his journey ahead for 40 days and 40 nights. And Moses' life broken up into three chapters of 40 years, the first of which was, was up to where we find him today fleeing out of Egypt. For 40 years, God had been preparing Moses' life, though he may not have known it for what was about to take place in the next chapter of his life. I want you to think about that because so often, and this is true the older I get, I look back and I think about periods of my life and seasons and times, and and, and I just kind of reminisce, and that's it. But if we'll look and we find purpose and meaning and, and a direction and God's hand moving in it, we can see though we may not yet clearly see that he is preparing us for something greater in the chapter that has now arrived. Now, at 51 years old, I can tell you it took my first 40 years of my life to figure out who I was as a person. And I know that now God is preparing me for something even greater than I am doing here and now. Moses was given a privileged birth and upbringing, and for 40 years he was in Egypt until the moment he did something drastic and we would consider tragic. He took the life of a slave master that was beating one of his own, a Hebrew. Moses flees Egypt because he's found out, and Pharaoh is after him, Exodus tells us. But I think Moses was also running away from himself as well. Do you? Do you think maybe that he realized in the first 40 years of his life that he was living a lie? I know at times in my life when, when I have not been who it is that I know God has created me to be, has redeemed me to be in Christ Jesus, that when I have not lived in congruence with what I am called to be and who I am, I have great strife. I do things that, that I normally would not do. There is an identity crisis that Moses goes through, and what does it lead him to? The tragedy of tragedies. The young baby that was saved from, from the murderous hand of Pharaoh has now become a murderer himself. When we don't know who we are and we get lost in, in, in the things that we do in the life that we're living that is different than we know that we are called to be, it drives us to do things that are unhealthy, hurtful, and painful. And Moses flees to escape and get away from Pharaoh, no doubt, but he's also running from himself. 
from living as an Egyptian and privilege all of his life and now finding out what it really means to be, to be powerless like all of his people, God's people that he's come from. There's a second thing that God uses to build fires within us as he did with Moses, and that is our passion. And was it not his passion, Moses' passion, that drove him to take the life of that slave driver? Now, right or wrong, and definitely wrong in God's eyes, Moses did that out of his concern and out of his love for his own people. The well-being of the Hebrews was at stake. And he had had within him burning a, a holy passion, a holy anger, if you will, for these people beloved of him that were taken advantage of and being oppressed and driven to do things that, that were ungodly and hurtful and, and life-threatening for them all. Moses had a heart for the helpless, not just his own people, but, but anyone that was down and out. Did you hear as he flees to Midian and is there at the well and, and Jethro's daughters are watering his flock? There's a Another shepherd or two, a group that comes, and they push the women away. And Moses stands up and says, no, you do not do that. Moses has a passion for those that are down and out, those that are hopeless and helpless of their own. And God takes that passion and uses it, redeems it for the goodness of God. What, what man has used for bad, the scriptures say, God can use for good. And God took that holy anger and that compassion that Moses had and used it for a, a way that was incredible and life-changing and world-changing, quite honestly. Moses had a compassion and a desire for freedom for his people that were oppressed. Well, what is it that, that breaks your heart? What is it that's your passion? Now, I'm not talking about stuff that you like to do, like going out to eat somewhere or going and, and fishing on the surf for a week for vacation. What is your passion for God? What are the things of God that captivate you and grab you that, that God can use to fuel you serving him? Some people find that to, to help hungry people and feed those without enough food to eat. Some follow that passion and teach our children and our our youth about biblical values and are an example of living for them. Some, some have taken that passion and, and set aside a week of their life to go to Fayetteville, North Carolina, to some place, to some people that we don't even know, to help them piece their lives back together again. What is it that is your passion? What breaks God's heart that breaks yours? And how can God use that as he did for Moses to save his people. The last, the last element of these fires within that God burns inside of us, and have you felt that lately? The Holy Spirit stirring and stoking you inside and, and, and speaking to you in words perhaps not verbally heard as Moses heard maybe from the bush, but driving you, moving you to do something greater and bigger than yourself, something for God's kingdom. 
God uses our humility before him to help us do great things to do God things. Again, we spoke last week about the women in Moses' life and about their great humility. About the two midwives that Pharaoh said, I want you every time you deliver a Hebrew child to take care of it for me. And they said, no. No, we fear God. We will not do that. Do you have a humility before God? Because obviously Moses got that as a gift from the example of faith of those women in his life and his people. From Jethro and from from his daughters as he fleed to Midian and, and grew in his understanding of God. Because without that humility, would Moses have stood there before that burning bush and, and listened for God? Would he have obeyed the call and, and heeded the, the warning to take off your sandals and recognize the place you are at in your life and where you are right now at this mountain of Horeb? is a very powerful time that I am going to use for great good. Is God, is God welling up within you a great humility? A great humility and respect for God that, that gives you a heed to listen to his call. I love the story. It's an old political joke, so... You'll recognize it when I get started with it. About George W. Bush, president, I think number 41 he was, walking through the airport in Texas, and he sees a man with a long, white, flowing beard and long, white, flowing hair, and he has a staff in one hand, and he has two stone tablets in the other. And you know how homey George W. Bush is he walked over to him and said, hey man, aren't you Moses? The man looks up at the ceiling and absolutely ignores the President of the United States. He tugs on his sleeve of his robe and says, hey, aren't you Moses? Again, the man just looks away as if to ignore this very important man. Finally, one of George Bush's Secret Service agents runs over and intervenes and says, do you know who it is that is talking to you? This is president of the United States. Are you or are you not Moses? And the man looks at him and says, yes, I am. And the secret servant agent says, why did you not answer him? And he said, because the last time I spoke to a bush, I wandered around in the desert for 40 years. And Lord knows I don't want to do that again. Well, uh, there takes a good sense of, of being humble and down to earth and, and homely, right? In the presence of God to recognize that there is one greater than us that calls us into a life that is not of our own, that calls us out of the world and out of the things that we want to do to the things of God and what he calls us to do. There's a stark difference between living as an Egyptian with, with power and all that Moses had in Pharaoh's court and living a life of humility outside of that that God calls him to. What did the writer in the, the New Testament letter of the Hebrews say? Chapter 11, 
talking about all of those that had come before Jesus of faith. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose instead to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the Pharaoh's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Humility keeps coming up, doesn't it, in the story of Moses with with the women in his life, his mother, his sister, and now for him, there is an essential element to the fire of God that he wants to light and burn within us. And it is the recognition and living in a posture of humility before him. It's what we are called to do. And it's who we are as people of faith, as Jesus calls us to follow him, to humble ourselves and say yes, to take the passion that we have in our hearts for what are the things of God and to chase those and to take our past as pretty or as ugly as it may be and use it for good with the redeeming love of God. Whatever it is that you've screwed up in the past, do not let that define you for who you will be in the future. And take all that is good and has been passed down and given to you as a gift of faith and of life and of love and use that for the great future that God has ahead. This story and this message is for anyone and for everyone who has ever felt like a failure or felt incompetent to do the things of God. And next week we'll talk about that a little more as Moses argues with God about whether he's the one that should go and do what God is calling him to do. Let's pray together as we close this morning. Lord, help us through this man, holy and called to go and do your work in the world, to see that likewise, through your son Jesus Christ, you call us as well to go and make a difference. Lord, be with all of those who, who are serving you and call all of us who are not. And Lord, show us, show us new pathways and new revelations for who we are as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.